Hi, I'm Jim Hoyt. I'm the senior minister at the Southwest Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. I wish I were in Malibu today. We have about a foot of snow outside and uh, temperatures around 20 degrees. And so uh, I can imagine only uh, that it's warm in Malibu, but uh, it's my pleasure to be able to be here with you today. I appreciate the opportunity to, to be able to, to bring a class session, uh, and I look forward to the time where we can get together again. Uh, this, this crisis, this uh, pandemic has been very, very hard on, on a lot of people, but I'm glad that we have the technology that can bring us together. Uh, and I'm sorry I don't have the pro presenter or uh, PowerPoint or something like that. I'm sure the, the, the technology is available to me, but uh, we'll just have to wait till another time. If you are a preacher, um, you scare me to death. Uh, other people, um, members, um, elders, uh, don't scare me as much. But preachers do, and I'll tell you why. Um, most of you ministers and pastors have degrees in the study of, uh, of the, the Bible uh, with Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic languages and textual criticisms and, and uh, focused textual studies. Uh, my background is in higher education. Uh, I, I have an undergraduate degree in zoology. I've been preaching here in Omaha for 18 years. Uh, but before that, um, I, I worked in higher education in our Christian schools. Uh, as I said, my bachelor's degree is in, in zoology. My master's and doctorate are in higher education administration. So uh, I come to this feeling very underqualified in so many ways. Yeah, I've preached for a long time. Uh, but that is where my experience is, is just from preaching in my own personal study. And so um, it's, it's very scary to talk to people because, uh, or, or to, to present a lesson to ministers because uh, you have so much more education. I'm always afraid that, that I've interpreted this wrong or I've said this wrong. And, uh, and so uh, I hope that you will bear with me as we go through this study. Um, you ministers know what it's like to, to be in the pulpit and, and have the, the pot shots that, that come to you. Uh, I know that if you're a minister that you're probably tired. Uh, you're probably worn out. Uh, the pandemic has played a number on you. Uh, it has been a difficult, difficult time. And I told somebody the other day, I said, you know, the printer has run out. Uh, I don't mean literally, I mean, you know, sometimes I feel like uh, I, have, I have given it all. And, and I don't really know why. I guess it's because uh, the joy comes in being together and, and enjoying one another together and being able to come to Pepperdine and being together as a group. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, we press on. And, and I want you to realize that you have a front row seat a front row seat to people's lives, to be able to um, see 
the birth of, of some people, to see uh, the end of life of some people, to, to be there during difficult times, to be there during the rejoicing. And so um, that's what makes your job and my job interesting, is that we are uh, part of something a whole lot bigger than we are. Um, and as I said, you have uh, taken some pot shots. I know that you've had a number of situations uh, that you have to deal with. I have uh, someone who uh, continually sends me um, things on Messenger, uh, videos and commentary. I know all of the latest conspiracy theories, and I'm sure that you do too. Uh, but what about those who question your faith or the things that you do? Uh, what about those who really uh, take pot shots at you? Uh, and, and, and that is one of those kind of things uh, that I want to talk about today. Uh, the church has to change. It's going to have to change in so many ways, and it is changing. And, uh, and part of that change is because of what's happening with this pandemic. Uh, but that's a topic for another time. I want to talk about the times when your faith has been questioned, or maybe even uh, someone that you know whose faith has been questioned. Uh, my dad was a preacher for many years, um, and then he worked as a college professor, and again, in our Christian schools. But I remember one time uh, as a kid, I was the last of four boys. And uh, I remember we, we never missed a service. And I mean, if we're traveling and uh, we see a Church of Christ, we pull in. And uh, I remember one time, and, and remember, some of you who have been in the church for a long time will remember when uh, there was a, a a song and an opening prayer and another two songs or three songs, however each church did it. But the opening prayer, and, and it's kind of interesting that we call it that, the opening prayer was almost always led by a visitor, someone who was coming by, traveling through, something like that. And it was usually the responsibility of the song leader to, to find somebody to do that. Well, we had stopped somewhere. Like I said, I was just a a kid, I think I was a teen, uh, teenager, and we we stopped at this church. It was a, I think a Wednesday night, might have been a Sunday night. But uh, the the song leader knew my dad. He came up to him, said, "How you doing? Good to see you. Hey, would you lead the opening prayer?" And of course, my dad acquiesced. He was glad to do it. And so the song leader turned around and he uh, said to. I guess he was the guy who uh, opened up with the announcements. He said, uh, uh, and he called my dad's name. He said, Ed White. Ed White's going to, to lead the opening prayer. And the guy said, is he sound? I remember my dad laughing about that. And yet that is the question that, that I think people ask all the time. Um, and I think it's probably even more prevalent in today's society than it was um, back then. The terms have changed a little bit. Uh, is he liberal? 
uh, is, is you, you know, you get the idea. So uh, we've had churches who have questioned our choice of speakers. They have refused to let their kids come to events here because of somebody that we have, because of a preacher that didn't have the same point of view as they did. I got a letter from uh, someone not, oh, it's been quite a while back. But there was a, a, I think a Presbyterian church in town that was going to have a retreat, a lament retreat, and they were going to study the, the Psalms of Lament. And uh, one of our ministers published this and said, this sounds like something good. I'm thinking about going. Well, I got a kind of pretty scathing letter saying, I can't believe that you guys are promoting this. I mean, this is a denomination. This is a, it's, it's as if we can't learn from someone else. And besides that, it's a lament from the Psalms. And the, the, the person wrote to me, you know, and said, you know, I can't believe you're doing this, this, this tool of communication that you're uh, sending to the members. And if, if what you say is, and what you're promoting is true, then it goes against everything that I've been taught. Well, I'm sure you've received those letters. At least this one was signed. So was this one. Um, I received this not long after I got here. Um, this guy said, um, we're looking to move to the Omaha area, looking for a Bible-based Church of Christ. We know that, that many are very liberal and are looking for one, we're looking for one that sticks to the Bible. We're not looking for one that spends more hours each week hosting social activities than learning. We're not looking for one that has its own kitchen or piano. We're not looking for one that sends its money to missionary societies rather than its own works. We're not looking for one that is afraid to preach against homosexuality, denominationalism, or divorce. Is Southwest the kind of church we're looking for? Well, that was kind of interesting, wasn't it? Here's what I said back. Dear brother, and I put his name in here, if you don't want a church that forgives divorce, that has a kitchen in its building so that we can have common meals together, if you don't want people looking for unity rather than division, then we're not the church you're looking for. On the other hand, if you're looking for a church that loves God, wants to please Him in every way, does not hold on to traditions simply because they are traditions and constantly seeks to find out what the Bible says, then we may not be what you're looking for. But it is my sense that we are not. And I suggested some churches that he might want to consider. I'll, I'll discuss this a little bit later on. I probably said way too much. Here's his response back to that. I didn't say I was looking for one that doesn't forgive it. I'm just tired of the liberal churches that never preach against sin and divorce is a sin, ask Jesus. I assume that you're a John 3.16 church by the tone of your message, one that reaches the part about God loving us and skips the rest of the Bible. 
I took that as a compliment personally, but I go on. As for sharing a common meal, the Bible specifically says that meals should be eaten at home and not be confused with the Lord's Supper, which is to be shared together. I, isn't that interesting that the, the scripture that he's referring to says, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? And yet most churches have water fountains. But I digress. And if the things of the Bible are considered tradition by you instead of the example by which we should mold ourselves, then you're right. And please take the Church of Christ off your building. The Baptists would love to have you. So that's another. This is a, another thing here. I'm not going to read this at all. But it's a whole four, five pages that a guy sent to me about a certain topic. He didn't want me to consider anything. He just said, this is what's wrong. Well, I could go on and on, and so could you. Um, I thank God often for church autonomy. And I bring that up, and it makes people mad for some reason uh, when, they, when they talk to me. But a few years ago at Pepperdine, at the lectures, in fact, I heard a speaker say that geography is everything. I found that a very interesting statement. And so you may say I'm wrong when we look at a passage that I've selected here. Or you may say that the language doesn't support it. And that's the advantage, I guess, or disadvantage of, of not having a degree in Bible. But Jesus, on several occasions, uses the same language about faith that I'm wondering if we've missed the point. The transfiguration has just occurred. There's a demon-possessed boy who the disciples couldn't drive out, and they question him, why couldn't we throw this demon out? And Jesus says, you know, you, you've got to have some faith. And in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20, Jesus says, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing, nothing will be impossible to you. Later on in Matthew chapter 21, we have some similar language. This time, we'll start in verse 18. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. And then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Now immediately the tree withered. And when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say, here it is again, to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. 
Then Paul, in his famous chapter of uh, Corinthians, chapter 13, the famous love chapter, he echoes some of the same uh, language that Jesus used here. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. There it is again. Now, I'll let you deal with the fig tree. Uh, we're not going to talk about that here. But I want to talk about the faith to move mountains. At least that's how we say it. That's how we look at it. Is Jesus literally saying, is Paul literally saying, that whatever mountain it is, that we can take it and move it somewhere else? That if we have enough faith, we can deal with that. Are, are we going to able, be able to take Mount Everest or, or, or Denali or, or Mount, you name it, and move it somewhere? Is that really what Jesus is doing? Is that really what he's teaching? Now, I know God can do that. I have faith that God can do that. And there are things that happen in this world that are amazing things that happen that I, I, I don't doubt in any way that it's not God that's doing it. I had a lady tell me one time that she didn't believe in this passage. She had a, and, and I'm, I'm talking, this was a godly woman. This is a woman whose husband was an elder for many years. And uh, I, I believe she's still alive, even though her, her husband has died many years ago. But when she was younger, she had a child, a child that had leukemia. And she said, I had the faith that could move mountains. I believe that passage with all my heart. And I prayed for my child, and my child died. And so she chucked the whole thing. Therefore, she didn't believe in prayer. It's kind of scary, isn't it? But there's something that's in Matthew 21 that makes me wonder. And as I said, I believe that God can do anything. If he wants to move a mountain, he can speak and it's gone. And, and you, you can read in the Psalms where it talks about the mountains will melt and, and on and on and on and on it goes. But there's something here that I find very interesting. Jesus has cleared the temple. You remember that story. He goes in and says, why are you making this, you know, this is a house of prayer. What are you doing here? And he runs them out. And then uh, right after that, he's challenged by uh, the, the chief priest and the elders of the people. And so when you look at this, it seems that he's in Jerusalem, doesn't it? Well, what mountains are in Jerusalem? Well, the most prominent mountain is the one on which the temple sits. And so I'm wondering, if you look at this, and, and by the way, the Jews are very much in charge of the religious system of the day. They are very much in charge. Even when, when Peter 
begins his ministry after Jesus' death, he is dragged before the Sanhedrin and told not to preach before. The apostles are beaten because they preach the name of Jesus. When Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas go out, they seem to have great success. They go to the synagogues, they have great success, and then all of a sudden everything falls apart. And they go to another town and the Jews end up following them. You've got to have a lot of hate for someone to, to follow someone. We're talking miles, and they didn't have cars. Maybe didn't even have fast camels. But they hated them for what they stood for. And you know the environment that Jesus is facing is extremely, extremely turbulent. My goodness, they want to kill him. They don't want to just hurt him. They want him dead. They want him gone. They, they don't like his teaching. They don't like the fact that they may lose their political position. They don't like the fact that they'll lose their power. So it's definitely a hostile environment. So let's look at this passage in 21 of Matthew. I want you to start in verse 21. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and it'll be done. And if you believe, you'll receive what you ask in prayer. Well, a couple of things. We've already mentioned that Jesus is in Jerusalem. Where was this mountain that he talked about? In fact, he says that. He says, but you can say to this mountain. And I'm wondering if Jesus is pointing to Mount Zion. I wonder if he's pointing to the temple. I wonder if he's pointing up there and saying, you can say to this religious system, you can say to the people who are opposing you, you can say to this place, you can do anything. I see Jesus' words here as words of encouragement, maybe even a foreshadowing to his apostles. I remember an English class back when I was in high school, and I had a hard time saying this, and the teacher would always talk about foreshadowing. Something in a short story would show up, and she would say something about perhaps this is foreshadowing. Maybe Jesus is foreshadowing something to the apostles and saying, listen, you're not going to have to worry about this. You can say to this mountain, you can say to this religious system to move, and it'll move. We know history, we know what happened, we know from Scripture exactly that happened. As far as I know, there were no mountains that were moved. Now, I know Jesus used hyperbole a lot. And I believe, and I've already said this, that God can do anything He wants. If He wants to move a mountain, He can. If He wants to move any kind of, of obstacle in our path, He can do it. But I'm wondering if this passage, he is saying, 
this mountain. I think he's saying the mountain of religious thought. Those who oppose. Those who oppose everything. Those who oppose and are ugly about it. Many have and will quit because of the opposition. But Jesus tells them they can make it. He tells them they can survive. They can stand against what is seemingly impossible. And so can you. So what do we do? What do we do in the middle of all this? And really, I, there isn't anything new here. I wish I could give you some, some wonderful words and you say, man, I've never heard that before. Uh, but I got to tell you, I'm just, a, I'm just a regular old preacher from Nebraska that doesn't have much education as far as the Bible is concerned. I was raised by godly parents and I study my Bible, but I'm not like a lot of you preachers. But I think the number one thing is, is be students of the Word. It's not earth-shattering, is it? How can we say that we're followers of the way? How can we say if we're followers of Jesus if we are not students of God's Word? We should be reading, reading the Word, reading respected authors, reading different points of view, have a critical mind. This means that you will have a belief system. But I'm encouraging you, don't be afraid to change the traditions and the thoughts that you have held on to for many years. I had a preacher tell me about going to a lectureship one time. And there was a well-known uh, preacher who was there. And he was being grilled because he had written a book and... Uh, and somebody had said, well, in your book, you said this. And he said something to the effect of, well, I have changed my view on that. At which point, another preacher walked up to the podium and said, I have been a preacher in the Church of Christ for, and I don't know how many years, it was many years. And he said, I have never changed my views on such and such. Oh, that's, a, that's an arrogant attitude. That's, that's one of the things that, that we see with the Sanhedrin. That's one of the things we see with the chief priests. That's one of the things that we see with the teachers of the law. Not willing to listen to anything. Not willing to change if the change needs to be done. Not willing to, to have that mountain moved. But instead, continue to believe the way they always have because they always will and they, there's no such thing as a change. But I think it's important that we be humble. I've been uh, doing a study with our church. This is about the fourth or fifth time in the almost 18 years I've been here uh, that I've done a study on the Beatitudes. Some of it, sometimes I've done sermons and this happens to be a class. Uh, there are a lot of good writings on this. 
And, and there's something about the Beatitudes that just continue to draw me to them. But the one this week I thought was extremely apropos. And you'll learn who really opposes you. Because it's always been that way. And those who are really trying to learn, you'll know the difference. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. The translation, a lot of translations use the term gentle. The words are very similar in the Greek language. In fact, Jesus said, I am meek and lowly in heart. You see, meek isn't weakness. It's the strength to stay calm in the midst of attack. William Barclay um, said, it's kind of interesting, he says that the person who is meek gets angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. That's kind of interesting. There's a, there's a book out there and, and uh, I would, uh, the guy has a background that's very similar to mine. He, uh, he, he, he taught in education. He has a doctorate in education and, and he attends a church up in uh, New England. And so uh, he taught for many years in a, in a Northeastern school. And he found that many of the beliefs that have been taught are, are things that have been taught just because they're traditions. And so he wrote a book called Book, Chapter, Paragraph. And the subtitle is Restoring Context. And he gives three suggestions in there, and I thought these three were extremely good. He quotes a guy by the name of H.L. Mencken, and he says, for every complex problem, there is an answer that is clear, simple, and wrong. I grew up uh, going to church at a little church in rural Ohio, a little church. Like I said, my dad was a preacher. He grew up in Meigs County, Ohio, and there's a little church of Christ there, uh, the Bearwalla Church of Christ. It's a little old church they've since added on. But I remember as a kid, we used to have a class in each corner. We had four classes because they just didn't have the room. But the, the, the class was usually one that went like this. We would read a passage of Scripture, and someone would say, what's that mean? You've been there. You've done these things. You've heard this said. And after a, a period of time of, of kind of uh, awkward silence, someone would say, well, I think it means about what it says. And everybody kind of, yeah, 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 I agree. So many people tend to be driven by the book of first opinions. This is the way I've been taught. This is the way I've always thought. And therefore, uh, I'm not going to, don't try to confuse me with the facts. Now, I want to say this, the Bible is understandable. But that's the glory of the Bible. It, it, it can be deep. It can be 
easily understood. It can be difficult. There are all kinds of things we can do with Scripture. But I like Hinkin's suggestion. For every complex problem, there is an answer that is clear, simple, and wrong. In so many ways, we have had the wrong attitude, the wrong answer. And I appreciate the people who are willing to go out on a limb and to challenge their faith and to say, listen, let's rethink this. Let's look at it. Let's see what the Bible says. Let's see what the context is. Let's see what the geography is. And let's see what the writer was really saying. I think the Bible is, is terribly, terribly relevant, even today. Even though some may, something may sound so simple, we will tend not to pursue a study on it. Or even willing to change. You know the passage from Acts. I believe it's Acts 17 where the Bereans are more, more noble than the, the ones from Thessalonica. And, and I was reading that not too long ago. And it says because they searched the scriptures daily. And that's usually where we stop. But if you read on it says to see if the things that Paul was saying were true. I, and I hope you pursue the things that I say today. I hope you pursue the things that every preacher says. That you follow and see what it says for yourself. It's got to be your faith. It's got to be what you determine is what Scripture says. Number two, he says, Mencken also said, never argue with a man whose job depends on not being convinced. <laughs> I have a friend of mine. Uh, he was a wonderful preacher. He's retired now. And uh, he was challenged by another preacher. And he wanted to debate him. That seems to be uh, the way it used to be. Now, I think it's kind of interesting. Um, debates have changed over the years. Uh, it used to be a, 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 we'll, we'll honor each other, we'll respect each other, uh, even though we disagree. And, and they would actually discuss the points. But over the years, it has become confrontational and ugly. And, and even in our political mood today uh, it is it is just ugly well this guy wanted to debate my friend and uh, he told him he said I have rented this hall this church I don't even remember what it was and he said we are going to debate this topic and my friend wrote to him and said please don't I won't it was a great lesson. That's why I said, I probably, in, in the letter to the guy, uh, or the email from the guy who, who uh, kind of questioned what kind of church we were, and, and I wrote back, and I, I probably shouldn't have said as much as I did. In fact, I've been known to say thank you for your concern. I, I was working for a Christian college when there was a preacher who was questioning what some of the things that we were doing and what we were teaching. 
we were all gathered around and everybody was saying, well, we need to make a statement. We need to do this. We need to do that. And I spoke up. I said, uh, do you mind if I have an opinion? No, Jim, that's why we have you here. I said, I don't think you ought to do anything at all. But what happens when, when people call and ask, what, what are you doing? I said, then you answer them. But I said, the more you respond to this person, the more credibility you give him in his arguments. Well, my advice wasn't taken. And uh, sure enough, uh, he continued to badger and badger. And so I, I think sometimes the best thing to do is to say thank you. I have a friend who has a stock answer. When somebody questions him, he says, you may be right. I thought that was a good answer. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 3 says, It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. And then number three. This is from Thomas Campbell in his declaration and address. He says, Let it suffice to put into the hands of such as desire information what we hereby publish for that purpose. If this, however, should not satisfy, let them give in their objections in writing, and we shall thankfully receive and seriously consider with all due attention whatever comes before us in this way. But verbal controversy we absolutely refuse. Verbal arguments rarely accomplish anything. There are people sometimes who just want to fight. And I, I don't think it's worth it. Remember, meek, gentleness. And I gotta admit, I struggle with those things. There's one thing that I continually turn to. It's something that I'm sure other people call it this. I, I happen to call it this. I call it the Gamaliel Principle. Do you remember uh, in Acts where I think it's Peter comes before the Sanhedrin and they tell him, stop preaching in his name. And so they, they want to they, they kill him. I mean, it's, it's crazy how the, these religious people, and, and you know, sometimes the religious people of the world, and you may not think they want to kill you, but in a lot of ways they do. But they, the Sanhedrin was at each other's throats, and they couldn't decide what to do with this charlatan. And so Gamaliel speaks up. And he says, you know what, guys? If this is of God, there's nothing you can do about it anyway. But if it's of man, leave it alone. And it'll go away on its own. That's kind of the principle that I've adopted with a lot of churches, a lot of things. 
And I've turned around and I've prayed for those churches and prayed for their success. Because if it's of God, I'm not going to struggle against him. And so when we see passages like this, you can say to this mountain, I still think there's good to be accomplished. I still think there are mountains that can be moved. If we just continue to pray about it and continue to be the humble, gentle person that God has called us to be. Thank you for, for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, I, I would entertain those. Uh, but it's just a joy to be able to, to, to be able to teach with you today. And I look forward to the time that we can all be together again. I thank you for the opportunity to be with you. God bless.